Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is an ABC podcast. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. And the groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race and it's great to be back in the Sanctum studio with you all. I guess it's a very sobering moment right now to acknowledge that it has been a very big week in football. To do the talking with me today, I am joined, of course, by my football-loving lady sisters from the outer. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, Nicole Hayes here. Tess Armstrong here. And hello, it's Lucy Race. Hello, ladies. Now, we have got... Um, inbound, <laughs> a fixture that couldn't have been put together better than if it was created by Tinder. A, t- a Tinder <laughs> algorithm. I'm so excited about the fixture that's inbound. But the football that has just been, I don't want us to forget that just yet because the weekend dished up some drama, a late night game announcement, a rejig fixture, pride rainbows, lockout to crowds. What were your highlights? There were so many, Lucy Race. Well, I'm going to go on field for my highlights, and it was the goal kicking. So we were treated to some, I would call them sublime goals, Um, booming goals by Taylor Harris and Ellie Blackburn on Friday night. That goal by Talia Randall, her first goal in AFLW, was so impressive, a 40-metre set shot. But I cannot go past the gold medal, Gemma old blue jumpers, Houghton, (laughs) (laughs) who continues to be one of the leading lights of the competition. And her goal in that second quarter, a snap around the body from the boundary in the wet was ridiculous and sublime, and I am here for it. It's so good. Callie Underwood kept calling it a sludge fest, which I kept laughing about because I was like, if you're doing that in a sludge fest, you're having a pretty good year. Mine is also goal-kicking related, but it's also it's Dakota Davidson, excellent name, by the way, excellent swagger when she kicks the goal. She kicks four. So does Jesse Wardlaw for the Lions. They are having so much fun up at the Lions. I am loving watching them play footy. And that was a record test. That's yep. the first time that two players have Kicked four goals each in a game. Thank you, Gemma Bastiani, for that stat. Oh, that's good. Twenty twenty one's bringing the goods, and the and the the locker room for the Lions is also a highlight of mine. There was a great video that they shared on <laughs> socials of their kind of dance party before the game, and they look like they're having a ball. And Craig Starsevich in the in the video didn't look super thrilled with the dance off, but then later on tweeted that he 
he'd been lucky that the camera hadn't picked up his ABBA dancing um, early <laughs> on. So we've had a long-term mystery about what's in the dad, what's in the man bag of Craig Starsevich, and it's ABBA records. It's the, and ABBA, I'm here for it. the ABBA back catalogue. We're speaking to Trent Cooper, the coach of Frio, later on in the show, and I can't wait to find out what his mega tunes are. <laughs> Nicole Hayes, what was your highlight? Oh, I, I loved Brisbane too, and I just I'm going to I'm going to talk about someone else, but also I have to acknowledge Lauren Arnell. Isn't it great oh. to see? Like a couple of years ago, she probably there was a possibility her career was over and she is just indomitable. I just love seeing her bring it together. It was, And I think Brisbane's been really exciting. I think, you know, we don't know what they're going to bring to it. But I have to recognise that derby <laughs> um, between, you know, which was this amazing kind of visual spectacle of... <laughs> when you could see it. Right. I mean, I like, I didn't know if it was smoke or rain or both. Like it was really hard to watch even or through TV. Or just like camera lenses. Just... <laughs> It was just a, a slog from top, from top to bottom. And, I mean, you know, it wasn't the prettiest football, but, gee, the endeavour of those players, and it was just under really tough conditions, and those players would not be used to those conditions at all. So, you know, just a shout-out to both teams, West Coast and Frio, and it was quite competitive for a lot of it. it you know, like I said, not the prettiest football, but um, a hard game. There were some injuries that came out of it as well. Uh, but props to both teams for just slogging it out in probably conditions that maybe in another situation they might not have been forced to play in. I um, was lucky enough to get along to three games on the weekend, which is just a – I was so spoiled. That was just amazing. Friday night was one of the funnest nights of my life sitting with you girls in the outer. My highlight, even though Carlton didn't get the win, my highlight was Ellie Blackburn, who I just – I feel like Ellie Blackburn is that person that um, if there's, you know, you want her to have the pliers in hand if there's a bomb that's about to go off <laughs> and someone has to cut the red or the blue. Yeah. Like she's finding corners and avenues and nooks and crannies and in, in the dying moments of games she's standing up and I, in some ways I, I say she's throwing the team on her back and carrying them over the line and they got the win and it was no small feat of hers. Like she is just exceptional. Her best is coming out when the pressure is absolutely on her. Another highlight for me was from Vic Park. Uh, Lucy and I sat in the outer and we were watching the game, which was, you know, it was great to see that game up close. Um, I do wish for better things for Geelong. I, I feel like it isn't just, it isn't quite connecting for them just yet, but there were some really good signs, much better than the week previous. But the one thing that we did see was Darcy Vessio in the outer there to watch a game. Now, it was extraordinary because the AFL, I don't think, have that much money to spend on marketing, on the marketing budget of the AFLW. They don't, you know, they have an ad. We haven't seen it. You know, it's not plastered all around the city or anything like that. We know COVID's been a tough time for all industries and businesses. But there she was. And for all intents and purposes, I think she's paid for her own ticket to get to the AFLW game because players don't get in for free, which is kind of Weird. Do they not? No, they don't. And I don't think their media, their, their pass doesn't get them in for oh. free. I don't think there's an allocation for players to get in. But there's Darcy Vessio in the outer having photos, signing autographs. There was little kids pretty much lined up. She she wouldn't have watched a minute of the game. And I thought, this is spectacular. This is old school VFL out in the outer, seeing, you you know, being up close and personal with the people that you love to watch on the weekend. She's such a superstar and she has such a big heart. And I just saw the power of it. 
we saw this little boy who was wearing a stripy rugby jumper <laughs> that was just from his own collection and he'd handwritten on the back AFLW. Oh. I was like, oh, we've got two-year-olds making their own merch. It was probably four, maybe five. It was adorable. But <laughs> was I was very like, talented. The, pa- the power of this was absolutely extraordinary. Well, I think I'd seen Darcy tweet that she was ahead of round one, lining up to actually buy tickets for all of her family and friends to actually get to some of those games in round one. And it made me think of, you know, our players juggling all these extra logistics. We saw Phoebe McWilliams tweet this week that she tweeted her thanks to her employer to say thank you for being so understanding with these last-minute fixture Mm. changes. And, look, it's a real consideration. And Mm. I had someone come back at me on Twitter and say, oh, it's just what the men were doing 100 years ago. But 100 years ago, they weren't also being, um, you know, playing games that were being broadcast everywhere. There wasn't this, uh, you know enormous discourse about how good are they or, you know, that it's critiquing their skills. And I just think it's a really pertinent thing for us to keep in mind that these players are managing so many logistics. And I can also say, as someone who has uh, an uncle who played um, in those 50s and 60s when that's exactly what they were doing, uh, he worked with my parents and... um, they got lots of, he got lots of afternoons off. He was given lots of opportunities that others wouldn't. Um, it was, you know, the, the players at, in those days were hallowed. They were, they were given a lot of extra breaks in a way that the AFLW players wouldn't be. And also that the, you know, the recognition and the, it, it was quite extraordinary how much extra um, help and support he was given in order to be able to do that. And it was a state game. So mm. they weren't leaving <laughs> Everyone the state knew. and it was Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I think the AFL should maybe rejig their thinking on it and and have an allocation so that the players can be in the outer because it makes such a big difference to little kids and to fans of the game when they see them there. You want to encourage as many uh, players to be there as possible. We did have a beautiful little interview that came from the outer from an, a little AFLW fan who had such a beautiful take on the game. Enjoy this. Hello, who are you going for tonight at the football? Taylor Harris's team. Why do you like Taylor Harris so much? Because she can do this really cool kick. Like it's just, it's kind of like a spin. But what happened in the game? Did you see? Um, no, she didn't do her special kick, but um, still she won. Um, I thought the Bulldogs won. Um, but like still, you can be um, so winning, like the one who gets the most gold isn't the one who wins. The real winning score is if you have fun. That's just the winning score. And did you have fun at the game, Hawa? Yes, so I won too. One thing we heard and saw all weekend was AFLW expert Shiloh Curtis in the commentary box. I think she's picked up more possessions than anyone else this season. We welcome Shiloh to the Outer Sanctum for the first time in 2021. Hi, Shy. How are you? I am fantastic. It's been great to be around so much football in the opening two rounds. Well, we love hearing your voice and seeing your face on the coverage. The thing that we've got you in today to talk about is it's a season of unknown knowns, but we wanted to hear some known knowns from you. What do you know after the first two rounds? Well, the first thing that came to mind for me is there's too much talent and too few rounds, and that makes no sense at all, most likely. 
The reason why I say that is Tyler Hanks in her third season, third season, finally gets a Rising Star nomination. And when you think about how few rounds there are in the competition and the fact that they, can, they, they acknowledge two players every round, but there's so much great junior talent coming through the ranks now that I worry that it might take three seasons for some of these kids to get a Rising Star nomination. So um, it's a good thing for the competition to have, uh, but I thought it was fascinating that it took three seasons for Hanksy to get her nomination. So too much talent. Um, well, there's never too much talent, but it, there's a lot of talent. Clubs that are 2-0, and they're definitely on their way. They've got one foot in the finals. Uh, I think it's going to take six games to get there, and we've already got six teams that are 2-0. Now, how they got 2-0, it doesn't matter. The fact that they are already 2-0 will make a big impact for them. And at the other end of the ladder, there are six teams that are 0-2, and I reckon their season's almost run and done, unfortunately. Um, it's going to take a lot of luck uh, for them, and the fact that we don't know what the rest of the fixture looks like makes it really hard to work out mathematically what's possible and what's not possible. So um, I think there's probably eight teams still in it, possibly nine, and I only say that with Carlton because their percentage uh, is, is at 84, I think it is. So they're, they're doing a lot better than the teams below them on percentage. So, And finally, I reckon the most important skill that you're going to need to have uh, to win this season of AFLW is emotional intelligence. Mm. Uh, you need to be agile and adaptable and you've got to manage, you've just got to manage yourself and you've got to manage what's happening, your internal state, uh, more than anything um, and more than any other season that we've seen. So I think that's going to be the most important skill to get people through the season. They're my, oh. big three, my big three. They're, they're a good big three. Charlotte, it's Tess here. We've actually got a rips and order of a fixture for round three. <laughs> what is? What are you looking forward to the most? Of the whole round? Um, <laughs> no, look, it's, it's going to be really awesome, I have to say. Um, I, yeah, look, I'm, look, the Melbourne North Melbourne game is going to be unreal. The Adelaide Fremantle game will be super. The Brisbane Collingwood game will be unreal. Um, I think because that will actually tell us where those six teams are legitimately at. You know, Brisbane have got that massive percentage, but, you know, they've, they've only played, what, Richmond and, and, and Gold Coast, and we still don't know where Gold Coast is at at the moment. Um, so are they really legitimately that far ahead of the competition? Probably not. Um, North Melbourne, yeah, I think they've, they've been really solid. Um, but again, um, they've played Geelong and St Kilda. St Kilda are a really good team, structured team, good young kids, nice balance of older and younger heads, but they really had to work to overcome St Kilda on the weekend, North Melbourne, Geelong. I think they've got a fair bit of work to do around creating synergy amongst their group. So I think those top three games are going to be really exciting, and I'm, I'm really keen to see where Brisbane's at uh, as well. I, I really want to know where they're at. And then the other thing um, is the kids. Like, I'm so like, Tiana, Tiana Smith from uh, St Kilda is outstanding. She's like a duplicate of Patricios, and they're going to be a great twosome. Alyssa Bannon thought she was awesome. Jess, Phil, Jess Fitzgerald for the Western Bulldogs, um, Rising Star nomination, of course. And then at the Tigers, Ellie McKenzie. And the other one that I'm really enjoying calling is Tia Charlton from Adelaide. She was pick four. She's just shown great composure, and she somehow slotted into a forward line. Um, that's got Chelsea Randall now in it, Aaron Phillips, Danielle Ponta, and somehow Stevie Lee Thompson has been squeezed out to the back line. So <laughs> oh she must be doing things okay. So that's what I'm looking forward to, those top three teams and, uh, yeah, the kids coming through. So, Shai, before we let you go, I know we'll know a lot more after this round, but are you prepared to give us your tip for a premiere? Oh. oh just one. mean. <laughs> I'm going to say Adelaide. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. I feel okay. like the gang's back together. You know? <laughs> yeah. How the, true is the, that? The gang's back together. Sons, 
Sarah Perkins. Um, Rhiannon Metcalf being back in the ruck is a huge in. Uh, this, and and I, I think we've seen a lot of we've seen Matty Clark throw the team around a fair bit. He's building a team that has a versatile structure where their players uh, can play anywhere. And uh, I think he's preparing to to have some sneaky things up his sleeves when he needs to. Uh, and I feel like they're the most versatile team in the competition. Shiloh, just like the 2021 AFLW season, you have too much talent and we have too little time with you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Outer Sanctum. We will see you and hear you at the footy. See you soon. I'm Darcy Vessio and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. All right, are you ready to roll up your sleeves and melee, <laughs> ladies? Eddie Maguire stood down yesterday from his role as the president of the Collingwood Football Club. Even in the dying moments of his tenure, he had the temerity to give his own eulogy, which can only be described as a tone-deaf flexing of his CV highlights and a masterclass in moral licensing. It was neither the time nor the place for such a display, but I don't think that was ever going to worry him. He was never going to go quietly, but he's gone from that position. Lucy, what are your thoughts? Like everyone, I've got a lot of thoughts. Um, Where I'm kind of landing is that it was really, it was untenable for Eddie to continue in his role as president. I didn't see him at the Collingwood AFLW game on the weekend. Um, I don't think he was there. And I would have been really surprised to see him there. I felt like it would have been quite jarring. Quite frankly, I think if he was there, I don't think it would have been well received. There was definitely a vibe. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, I really do think so. Um, But I think from what we've seen reported just over the last 24 hours, I think there's been pressure from the, from potentially from sponsors. I'm not entirely convinced that he had the full support of the board. We've seen a group of Collingwood fans, Collingwood Fans Care, who have petitioned the club. And and also I'm not sure, you know, what's what the feelings are between the playing group and, and Eddie. But even more than that, I really feel that Eddie is not qualified as to be the person in charge of the club that is is trying to actually do this really important work in changing the systemic racism within Collingwood that's been identified by that report. And in pointing to why I think that, I think we don't need to go any further than looking at his words and his actions. And you mention it there, Emma, that, you know, yesterday he was talking about all of the different things that he's done. And it's like he's using that as an excuse or to say, so I can't be a bad person. What I'd like people to do is to really go and have a look at some of these awesome resources on systemic racism and on anti-racism. And one that I'm going to point you to is a thread by Indigenous X, which everybody should be following on Twitter. And they posted an article in the last week, um, which is the 10 things you should know about systemic racism by Luke Pearson and Miko Lachlan. And one of the things that really jumped out from that list for me is point two, which is that systemic racism isn't about how much you care. There's a quote in there that says, many people confuse anti-racism with a value set when it's actually a skill set. Mm -hmm. And I just want to read you this little bit here that says, I often compare it to being a doctor. It doesn't matter how much you hate sickness or how much you wish you could cure the sick. You need to know how to do it. Otherwise you're just sending thoughts and prayers. And 
as Shelley implored last week and on other you know, in other platforms that she's been using her voice over the last week, we can use this moment to really do better to help create change and to be anti-racist. That means, as I said, doing the work of understanding racism, really understanding systemic racism and how to be anti-racist. And that's the challenge and that's the hope I have that individuals and other organisations take this moment and run with it. There's a chasm between what he says and what he understands and that's what I can see is being kind of teased out of the report and also in his response. Absolutely. And look, I'm really not comfortable with the framing of Eddie as a victim in in all of this and I really fear that the way that he spoke yesterday really sets up a continuing us and them and we've seen that played out in a lot of mainstream media where people are seeing Eddie as a martyr and seeing him as a victim and I go back to the report, this quote from the report that said, what is clear is that racism at the club has resulted in profound and enduring harm and that sets dangerous norms for the public and just by you know what he said yesterday, I can see that that is continuing to happen. And for me, that is evidence that he's not qualified. Yeah, and you know he's there because he's a qualified. He's an expert media uh, uh, communicator. Mm. But that time has passed. I think he's been institutionalised to believe that we will all just listen and believe and care in everything he says. But the world has moved on, and he hasn't re-educated himself. There's been a moment of leadership that's been lacking in this. Tess? Absolutely. I was thinking in 22 years since he's been president, how much has football changed? How much has society changed? How much have our expectations changed? And how much has leadership changed? And it's changed a lot. And it's left people like Eddie behind who have done great work for their football clubs. But part of being a leader is when you come forward and say, these are all the initiatives that I'm responsible for, which is essentially what he said yesterday. All of these amazing things, women, all of them. I'm responsible for of this. all different shapes and it's sizes, great. many sizes. He's I'm responsible very for that. With the sizes, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. And up. I'm going to claim credit for all of these great things that you've done. That's great. Good for you. But you also have to take credit and responsibility and accountability for the things that haven't gone right in your 22 years. And he's never been able to do that. He has. He has said, no. This is a society problem, not a Collingwood problem. But this is a Collingwood amazing initiative that we've done to solve society's problems. So those two things can't exist anymore. And it, and it needs someone to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, your time might have come to an end. And Barry Cassidy, who is a long-time ABC person, big Collingwood fan, wrote a great piece this morning just essentially about how Eddie had failed to recognise his own use-by date. And that can be really difficult when you're in the centre of this universe and he has been put at the centre of football for such a long time. It must have been very difficult for him as an individual to recognise that maybe he wasn't able to have the influence he thought he was able to have, which then it falls on other people to tell you, right? But how open would he be? You imagine him walking into a boardroom and saying, we need to come up with a media strategy. Who else are they going to look to? Who yep. else? How are you ever going to say to that person, you're not qualified in this space anymore? Yes, and another thing is is the issue of your own legacy, right? He's won them a premiership. He did turn that club around. And the fans, many fans are grateful for what he did for them. Mm -hmm. However, as Barry said, he had 10 years of amazing time and an agent of change. And then since the last 10 to 12 years, that legacy has really been eaten away. And I'm sure that there are other people at Collingwood and also around other football clubs and in football that need to look at themselves and think, how long have I been in this role? Am I still able to have the influence 
positive change that I thought I was going to be able to have, is it time to maybe step out and open the door for someone else to come in with fresh eyes? And unless you're able to do that, then maybe being in a position of leadership in a modern world isn't for you. Yeah, and you know we've we've heard I've heard, I've read this morning that he may not have even stepped down at the end of the year even though that was his intention that he would wait for the mm. right person to come along. Now, the right person is based on what? Yeah. Like we've had conversations about what merit looks like and and how that can be problematic. But when you say fresh eyes test, I see this moment as a moment of we do need to take on what people see from outside. And I'm going to come back to that point, Nicole. You just, you've got something here. I was just thinking in terms of how, um, how enabled and empowered he was by, you know, people of, of power, people of privilege, like the Premier Dan Andrews, um, Gil McLaughlin has continued to support him. When you think about their voices coming from a position where they simply will never be able to fully comprehend what racism looks like and feels like if you are on the wrong side of it, um, weighed up against, you know, esteemed Indigenous uh, First Nations and people of colour like Professor Marsha Langton, um, Stan Grant, uh, Charlie um, Charlie King on Offsiders was magnificent. These people have all advocated very strongly and very thoughtfully any one of their pieces or their arguments, which have been sustained for years, should have been enough for anyone, for the leaders and for the people in positions of power to listen and to stand aside, to understand it's not about them. They need to get out of the way. And I think it's just a real shame that it took you know, we had the open letter from a bunch of academics and um, authors and MPs having to force their hand in what should have been, you know, a no-brainer to anybody else from the outside. So I just want to acknowledge the work of those people and also incredible uh, work by Heretia Lumumba, that the grace and the consistency where he's on his own for so long, um, worked really hard to, to force change, finally being listened to, and hopefully this Moving forward, Collingwood and other organisations like them recognise that we, in order to, to generate real change, we need people of colour, we need people from those experiences, with those lived experiences, driving the change, not just part of the consultation process. I think that's very true. And the cynic in me, though, thinks, was it the open letter? Was it those voices or was it sponsors and money that uh, course, stepped yeah. in? And we saw last night that CGU Insurance, who are a big sponsor of Collingwood, have told the Magpies that they're going to redirect the million dollars, I think, that they were going to put into sponsorship to the club and they're going to put that into First Nations initiatives and programs and ethnically diverse organisations. That is action. That's like Mm. the kind of thing that we need to be seeing Um, and I think maybe... That was the big driver for yeah. the football club. The, the cynic in me says that too. And then, you know. But in response, right? I mean, they're responding to something of else. Course. Absolutely. Of course. Which from is, outside and yeah. voices, voices from the outside. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, the last two press conferences that he's done in his role, neither have had sponsor um, logos behind him, which is incredibly unusual um, for Eddie Maguire because that was his absolute jam and that's what he believed that he was bringing to the table. Now, if you if you are going to miss Eddie, I will just remind you that just because he's not going to um, be able to affect culture and, and, and do all of the great work that he was proposing he was going to do in his role um, at Collingwood, he will still have roles. He will still be 
absolutely everywhere. He'll be on, you know, on all of these different channels in, in all of these different places that have supported him and that are still standing by him. So, you know, that comes, you know, if he wants to, if he actually is legit about wanting to uh, make headway into systemic racism, he's still got plenty of platforms to do that from. So I look forward to seeing him live that truth when he's commentating football on the me- on all of the many media platforms. I look forward to him advocating for gender equality and for never speaking badly about women, First Nations people, um, doing that and living that truth and for us all to sit back and watch him live those 18 points of recommendation that came from the report. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. The other thing I just wanted to go back on there, was you said fresh eyes and so did you, Nicole. And I think it's a really important point that I think what really rattles the cage of uh, of our sport, but I think it rattles the cages always, is when people from outside look in. And it doesn't happen enough in our game, I don't believe. And I want to point you back to a moment last season when when Damien Hardwick was doing a press conference and it was Hugh Rimmington who uh, wanted to question him on the Marbule Troll in the singing circle and mm-hmm. the fact that he was being touched inappropriately by his teammates and approached inappropriately. And it took someone who is not a football journalist to ask that question. And I think that the pressure most likely, you know, that brought the acts down at the end was probably corporate. But I think the fact that every single media outlet in the country was talking about this and it wasn't just the football bubble, I think that has actually rattled the cages here. And I think we learn a lot about ourselves when we look from outside, when we look through the eyes of people from outside the football bubble inside. And I think that scares people who are administrators of this game. And I think we are all on notice. And we've always prided ourselves as being from the outer and looking into the game. And I I think over time we've started to be sucked into the football bubble and we need to make sure that we keep really fresh eyes. And one thing that Rana said last week, which I thought was such a great point, was how many people of colour, how many media, diverse media um, representatives were there in the room when Eddie and the board sat up there and talked about the findings from the report? Because I, I, I'm not sure that there was any And that's where we should be making sure that people of colour are in that room because they hear things that we don't hear because of their lived experience. I think that's incredibly important. This has been an absolutely enormous story and we could talk about it forever and we probably will continue this conversation. But I want to come to you for last, last thoughts. Nicole? I just hope Collingwood takes the opportunity to do something dramatic and really powerful in when it comes to looking at the board and how they're going to move forward. Who's going to drive this change? Tess? Russell Jackson wrote a great piece for the ABC yesterday where he pointed out the line from Eddie Maguire who said, people have latched onto my opening line last week and as a result I've become a lightning rod for vitriol. Russell says, in truth, the lightning rods for vitriol have been those who dared complain or fight back against the racism they suffered at the hands of Collingwood and its people. Adam Goods, Nikki Winmar, Gilbert and Adrian McAdam, Joel Wilkinson, Robert Muir and others whose stories are yet to be told. And in an ultimate commentary watch, I just wanted to point to this one tweet. I was really not going to join in the Eddie Maguire pile on and no need for any more pressure. He's gone. But then I saw that he said he's become a lightning rod for vitriol and I cannot let this mixed metaphor pass unnoticed. A lightning rod is a lightning rod for lightning. (laughs) Hashtag commentary watch. Lucy? (laughs) Yesterday, the thing that kept coming back to me is that Eddie Maguire got to have a press conference to say goodbye and to go out on his own terms. And I'm thinking about the people who didn't get that and didn't get to leave the game on their own terms, particularly people like Adam Goods and 
most particularly Heretia Lumumba, who still doesn't have a resolution and an apology. And I don't want us to ever forget that. But I also wonder about all the other people who have been lost to the game over the last few decades. That's right. And Eddie said in his farewell tour statement, I love my memories of walking into Vic Park the first time for how in the first time in my life I felt part of a community. I feel sorry today for the people who have not felt part of the community because of the way that he has led his club. And I look forward to a new dawn and a new day where we all feel that we're part of a community. In 2020, one team was undefeated. We got hit with a global pandemic and then took a minute. And now they're back and the Dockers remain undefeated still. Let's get our purple on with the coach of the Frio Dockers. We welcome Trent Cooper to the Outer Sanctum. Hi, Trent. How are you? Uh, Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Everyone looks good in purple. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're members of the Frio Dockers and it's probably because of you. My big first question is, are you hoarse from singing the song so much? No, I definitely let the girls go and do that on their own. I think uh, my personal view is it's the players that put it in there. We, We all enjoy standing around and doing it. After round one, they did drag everyone in, the whole staff and everything. It's been so long since the last time we got to sing it, sing it but uh, no, I tend to leave that for them. Talking about the players doing the hard work, the Sunday's match, the Derby, was killer for both teams. How did your, how did the Frio Dockers pull up? Pulled up, yeah, really well. Um, it was an absolute slog. The, uh, it, it rained from before the warm-up and it did not stop the whole game. Um, Fortunately, Fremantle was in absolutely perfect condition at the moment. So even though it was obviously wet, it didn't get really muddy and heavy underfoot, which uh, you know, takes a lot of energy out of the legs. So the girls reported pulling up pretty well. And one player, Trent, I wanted to check in on as well for pulling up is Evie Gooch, who'd been fighting fires over there in WA, which we hope all our WA listeners are safe and well. How... Firstly, how is she? And separately, how do you manage someone who's out saving lives, doing an amazing job in the community, and then also, you know, as part of your football program? Yeah, no, she's had a big week, obviously. So uh, we just went really light on her at training and in the build-up to it. Then we were in lockdown as well. So there was we had a team meeting and um, on Zoom. As that's all we could do at that stage. And Evie was on. I didn't know if she'd be on, and she was on there. We said, how are you going? And she'd just been awake for 23 hours, <laughs> had a half hour, yeah, half hour nap, and then jumped on the on the Zoom meeting. So, and then went straight back to bed after that. But she, um, yeah, she performed really well. Like you wouldn't expect her to be at her best, but she did a great job. So uh, I think she had a fair bit of sleep, and then yeah, back on night shift and things like that. Fortunately, the rain over here has helped a lot. Um, and while we, you know, for our game, we personally didn't want it. We were all very thankful that it came because it helped a lot with the fires. Just one other player that I wanted to um, mention, Trent, is Gemma Houghton. She's picked up from where she left off last season as one of the competition's most exciting forwards, although I did read that you were thinking of maybe throwing her in the middle. Thank goodness she didn't because that goal was awesome. (laughs) What does she bring to the team on and off the field? Um, Off the field, there's nobody like Gemma. Her energy, her... um, yeah, what the things that she comes up with is nothing like Jem. And um, what she's done this year, she's gone away in the off season. She's worked really closely with one of our assistant coaches, Lisa Webb, to get herself fitter than she ever has been. 
Um, so, yeah, she's come back. And I'm really pleased that she started the season so strongly because it's a reward for her hard work. And, uh, yeah, we think she'll have a really good season. Obviously, the conditions didn't suit on the weekend, but that goal she kicked would have been a, a goal of the year contender in the dry, let alone the wet. No kidding. You're really clearly getting the best out of your players at the moment. But given the fixturing situation, that seems a, a, a minor miracle. And, you know, in terms of what sort of oppo research can you do when you have literally no idea who you're going to play? How's, it, how's that work at a football club? Yeah, with great difficulty. Last year, before we played Gold Coast in the final, I'd done a lot of research. We were supposed to play Melbourne, so I put a lot of time into them. Then we thought it was going to be GWS or North Melbourne, and at last it was Gold Coast. So <laughs> ripped up a lot of notes on that occasion, um, and it's been a bit the same this year. But, yeah, again, Lisa Webb, funny enough, is our opposition uh, coach, so she does a lot of work, uh, and I obviously have a good look at the other teams. So at the moment, I'm watching every single game just in case so uh, I can catch up quickly. But, yeah, that's the nature of it. And I think uh, the, the thing is everybody's in the same boat. Uh, if it means I get to watch more AFLW, that's not a bad thing. I'm enjoying all the games so far. Trent, over summer, when we heard that they were going to get rid of the conference system and there was going to be a single ladder, I think AFLW fans all cheered with glee that this had been a, some kind of COVID gift that had been um, afforded us. The one person I wanted to call and get reaction from was you immediately because a single ladder, had we had it last year, you guys probably would have taken home some silverware. What was your response to the single ladder announcement? Uh, yeah, I was already prepared for conferences and to be honest, the conferences system has merit as long as you get the conferences even. And last year, they were sort of going to play out all right. We were ready for it this year. And um, yeah, when it didn't happen, yeah, so be it. I, it does go back to that. Like If there wasn't a conference system last year, they may have been able to declare a winner. But to be honest, we've really moved on from that. And if we had have been awarded that premiership last year, it wouldn't have meant what, it should, no, what a normal premiership does. And uh, we would have been you know, hungry to win a real one. So we, we got over that pretty quickly. Trent, I have read a quote from Ebony Antonio talking about the culture of Fremantle. And the, the thing she said is that we do our draft on culture over skill. Shiloh Curtis spoke to us earlier in the show and said that she thinks one of the greatest skills that um, teams need this year is emotional intelligence. Where do you think you guys are with your team culture and how does that set you up for this very challenging season? Yeah, it's so important. Um, I, I think it's important in the in the men's space, but I think even more so in the female space that you have a really good culture. Uh, boys can sort of overlook faults in others um, and if they play good football, but the girls get really invested in the whole program and they don't like seeing people sort of operating outside of, of what we require. So getting good culture, I think, is really important. So we think we're in a really good space for that. We're probably we're off, off to Adelaide this weekend and our borders aren't really open to Adelaide. So um, I don't think we need to be on sign to work out that we're probably on the road for a, for a, a, a two or three weeks uh, at least sort of coming up now. So that is when culture is really going to be important um, uh, getting through that. We've seen GWS, I think, do an amazing job. They, they haven't had the score on the board, but they had to deal with more than just hubbing what they've had to deal with. 
um, and you know, we're ready to go and, and do what, what we need to do to make sure that we can also perform at a high level. The the fact that you're on the road to Adelaide has not escaped any footy fans. We are so eagerly awaiting that contest, Trent. <laughs> but I just want to ask you, how do you action your leadership in the space of coaching and mentoring? You've mentioned Lisa Webb twice now in this uh, in this interview. What do you do to ensure that you are handing on information and that you're upskilling the coaches that are working around you? Yeah, it's it's really good question. If you come down to one of our training sessions, uh, you'd find it hard to pinpoint who the who the head coach is. I think uh, we we give them a lot of responsibility uh, and they take it on. Um, three out of our four coaches are teachers, um, and they're really good at communicating and and that. So we have our meetings with them. I tell them what I want. They also have a lot of input into what they want to do, um, and then I give them a lot of freedom to 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 be themselves and to, to bring different things to the team. So, uh, yeah, if you walked around one of our sessions, you wouldn't notice too much who's, uh, who's leading. And even the team meetings, uh, they take charge and I'll sit back and just add in my two cents worth every now and then. Um, and I think it's, uh, yeah, it's working really well. Uh, they don't get anywhere near as much credit as what they should, but they're a big part of our, our, of our team. And it's going to be difficult because uh, I'm not sure if any of them will, will be able to go in the hyper situation. Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing a lot. Again, via Zoom and Teams um, to to keep them uh, heavily involved because we do rely on them a lot. Trent, over the weekend, Craig Starsevich, the Lions coach, was really forced. We forced his hand to reveal that he was an ABBA fan, right? That's his (laughs) pump-up music in the rooms. Now, luckily, in this modern world, you can take music on the road with you into hub life. Can you tell us what you're putting on before the game for yourself, not the players, but what would pump you up? Oh, for me, I don't know. The, I, I'm quite happy with the girls' tunes. The uh, let's let's get la- let's get loud is a big one. Oh, I hear group. that at the ground. Yeah, that, that, that's a big one there. Um, it was an introduction to me when coaching the state 18s. Um, and what was the song? Just five minutes before the game, this song came. Oh, this girl is on fire. <laughs> oh, uh, great remember. choice. I remember Courtney Hodder absolutely ripping it out before she then went out and destroyed Vic Metro that day. And it was, um, yeah, it's, it's a different world and you embrace it because that's what they play best when they're relaxed and comfortable. Um, so it looks to the old school people, they look out and they go, oh, that's, you know, that's, they're not concentrating and, and they do that. They know what they need to do and that's just how they get themselves ready for it. There was a bit of commentary around, uh, I think Lauren Bell and one of the other Gold Coast girls at uh, three-quarter time mm. or half-time dancing just before the, the bounce. Mm. But that, they know what they have to do. They're in a bad situation. Just get relaxed and, and play your best footy. So, um, yeah, the, the old-school people may not like it, but it's what it's what they do to play their best, and I, I'm all for it. Also, it was Beyonce, and you cannot legislate against people <laughs> dancing to Beyonce, <laughs> even if they're in the centre square. Um, it is almost time for us to let you go, but uh, I know that you, you're such a huge supporter of independent uh, female voices working in the AFLW space. We know that you listen to us, you listen to everything, and you read everything that Sirens puts out, and you, it's particularly um, good to uh, Gemma Bastiani. I know you have a strong relationship with her as well. Because of that, I'm going to lean on you and say, you know that what gets us headlines is scoops. What don't we know about Frio that we need to know? Come on, Trent, <laughs> just give us something. Don't you know? I'll give you an interesting fact. We've got five girls on our list who are who have a female twin sister. Oh, oh, 
Okay. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Have got... you ever played the twins? And, and four out of the five twin sisters do not play football or a sporty at all. Oh, don't Ooh. play them. Mm. No. So, yeah, the, the, the other, yeah, so, um, yeah, they're air hostesses and different things like that. And, yeah, but we've got five. That must be some kind of record, five out of 30 on the list with female wow. twin sisters. It could, wow. be a study. it could be a study in that, I think. Yeah, I think there's definitely a study in that. Our own Nicole Hayes sitting in the studio is also a twin, not, a, not with a sister. A brother, she has Alas, a brother. So I don't qualify. But so I probably can't get a game then. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, no, it needs to be female, it appears. Female. Oh. Well, that's a little tiny piece of gold, purple gold. Thank you so much, Trent, for joining us. We're going to let you get back to your family and uh, enjoy uh, spending some time with the family before you hit the road. We cannot wait for this showdown with the Adelaide Crows. In fact, Tess, you have an amazing story. That. Yes, from our friend Gemma Bastiani. Trent, you've got the longest winning streak at the moment in the AFLW's history. You're on nine in a row, which I'm sure you wake up every morning and just go, nine in a row, absolutely killing it. <laughs> but Adelaide are sitting on eight from 2019. So this weekend, they could equal you. Does that give you an extra little, you know, rep? No, no, they had eight from 2018. That one doesn't count to their record. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. Well, 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 that sorts it then. You're done. You're on. Game on, says Trent Cooper. All right. Well, we cannot wait to watch you guys playing in Adelaide. Thank you so much for joining us on the Outer Sanctum today, Trent. No worries. Thanks a lot for having me. Okay, Golden Girls, we've got something very special for you today. It's time for thank you for being a friend. On this week's Thank You For Being A Friend, we are thrilled to welcome two giants of football and the AFLW competition. We welcome Melbourne captain Daisy Pearce and the St Kilda coach Peter Searle. Their footy relationship goes back to the mid-2000s, I believe. So, Daisy, thank you for being here. Pete, thanks as well. Can you start us off, Daisy? I can. When and where did we first meet? The Oval down at Reservoir. We were training there and you came down and I used to do this crazy fitness drill with you guys. That was where you, you know, my first impression of you was like, wow, hey, this girl's impressive. So that was your first training night, which was selection night. And then um, Loz, who was the second coach, I was the first coach. So we had, you know, the traditional match committee. And uh, I picked you in the first and she's like, the first training session, you think she'll be okay? I'm like, well, trust me, she's going to be fine. So we picked you and we played. It's a good first game, St. Albans at St. Albans. <laughs> you know, I think they tried to beat you up a little bit, but you stood tall and uh, it was probably best on ground in your first game. So from that time onwards, I knew that there was um, definitely a very special person in our club. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Pete. I still remember it because it was almost as special as, like, or just as special as getting my name read, read out for Melbourne in the AFLW because, yeah, it was the start restart of my footy career having thought that I would never be allowed to play again when boys' footy finished. And then, yeah, to, to have you name me on the wing, it was pretty special. Interesting to say, it's almost, you know, as memorable as your first when you got named for Melbourne. And I think, you know, that that's the value of football is it doesn't really matter where you are, it, it always creates these wonderful memories. All right, Dave, <laughs> can you describe your earliest impressions of me? <laughs> I just remember this 
person with amazing passion and presence. It's funny that you said that before about um, you don't need to be big to have a presence. I think I've heard you say that before and um, it's so true about you. But, yeah, just your, your passion for the game, your tenacity and, like, determination all, all through knowing you. I just have so many memories of you standing at the bottom of this massive mountain that might look too big to someone else, but if you were passionate enough about getting to the top of it, well then, yeah, you were going to get it done. And in those early days of coaching, you just had this awesome ability of being able to make everyone feel like they were a valued contributor in the team. I can just clearly remember, we'd be 10 goals up at some quarter time break, and you had this ability to make us, like talk to us in a way that you'd have us going out in the second quarter thinking we have to go better here or improve on this or else we're going to get done today and it's not going to be a good day. I think just that um, will to want to continue to improve yourself and everyone around you was one of my earliest impressions. Next question. Uh, so, Pete, what's most important to me in life and relationships? There's probably a range of things. In relationships, you're probably looking for people that you can trust, people that you know that are genuine and, and honest. I think you appreciate um, straight-up relationships. You appreciate people being there for you, but also saying the things that need to be said. I think for you, it's really, overall, it's about really honouring uh, um, really genuine people. I reckon you nailed it. I wrote down three things as to preempt what I would, how I would answer that question. I wrote down authenticity, trust, and reliability. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I got it in a roundabout way, didn't I? <laughs> right back at you, Dave. <laughs> I don't know. It is a hard question to answer for someone else, but I, I would imagine we're both pretty similar. I think authenticity would be really important to you, being yourself and being proud of who you are. Trust would be really important to you as well, I think. <laughs> I know I'm not being very original here, but I just no. genuinely think it would be important to you. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Like, we obviously value, we obviously have such a good relationship ourselves because we probably value the same things. Yeah, yeah. And I think also, without being the same, we've had similar types of experiences growing up. Um, Without, yeah, obviously not exactly the same, but there's things in your upbringing that I might be able to relate to and vice versa, and I think that's where reliability would be really important to you as well. Do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Now, this is the one that I really wanted to know. When you coach <laughs> against me... <laughs> when you coach against me now, what do you tell my direct opponent to do to beat me? Honestly, Dave, I'm not... Focusing on you as an individual, <laughs> focusing on the team, as you would probably know. Last year, we didn't want to give you any free ball off the half-back line, so um, it was mainly about... And it's a normal thing. If you've got someone, you know, you, you know that, that if you've got someone who's getting a fair bit of ball off half-back line, you've got to stay relevant, stay engaged as a forward. So it was, it was more around about that. Um, how do we stay relevant? How do we stay engaged? But how do we stay... Um, and make you accountable to us rather than you doing your own thing because you do your own thing, they're very damaging. So that was the conversation that we had last year. So nothing about me having only two years and being slow to sort of run off me? 
No, nothing about that at all. Nothing about that. But um, I do sometimes refer to a comment you said to me at times with some of our players. Well, there's two two parts to this. Is some of our players that might not and be or don't think that you know some players down in confidence. Oh, no, I'm not quick enough. I'm not this or I'm not that. And, you know, so I use an example and say, well, Daisy, you know, she's, she's not the fastest person going around, but she's probably one of the most highest possession getters. So it's not about how fast you are, it's about how fast you and all that type of stuff. And I also do sometimes tell the story that you've told around, you think that's, that's in the past been a weakness for you. So you're like one of the best players in the league, if not the best at certain times. And, and you're still trying to find weaknesses in you for you to get better at. So, you know, that's what motivates and drives you. And, you know, you'll self-doubt a little bit around, you know, that all these other girls are getting faster and quicker. Um, but at the end of the day, so, so you go to work on it and you go to work and, you know, and keep trying and keep, you know, improving your running. But the honest truth is, at the end of the day, you know, you don't need to compete in the running capacity then because you're way smarter footballer than most of them. So... But I just like that little work ethic that you've got that that story tells that I can then pass on to you know my players. How was that uh, answer? Did I give you much away? <laughs> no, no, I don't mind it. It was very complimentary. Thank you. Last question: If we were trapped on a desert island, who would survive the longest? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I reckon it'd go right down to the wire. <laughs> I think we might end up doing some something like the Hunger Games where no one dies. Neither of us dies. We we'll manipulate and strategize to where we could probably get it through. We'd be we'd be at our wits' end and completely sick of each other, but we'd know we'd need to rely on each other to survive, so we'd find a way and and grumble our way through surviving together, I reckon. <laughs> Thanks to Peter and Daisy. You don't get much more football royalty than mm-hmm. that. Thank you for that heartfelt chat. Uh, any final business, ladies? Yes. Lucy. So congratulations to our dear friends Angela Pippos and Nick Minchin who have put together a two-part series called The Record. It is following the Australian women's cricket team's T20 World Cup campaign and it will be screening from Friday this week on Amazon Prime. I thought it was going to be about the football record, where it's just going to be all these players <laughs> saying, what's your favourite movie? Shortened Redemption. And I was like, I know how that ends. <laughs> it's much more exciting than that. Oh, it's fantastic. Congratulations, Ange and Nick. Just watching the preview, oh, the mm-hmm. trailer. Oh, goosebumps. Goosebumps, yeah. Somebody stop me. Uh, I also just wanted to let you guys know that um, if you haven't already caught up on the news, there is a fixture out. It came out late. <laughs> it is smoking hot. It and really is. you're going to want to get to these games if you can. Tickets go on sale for Friday night's game on Thursday and all the other tickets go on sale on Friday. So you'll be like that gif of the cat at the keyboard, <laughs> just pounding its little paws on the keyboard trying to get those tickets because, goodness me, what a lineup of games. Cannot wait to see it. Is there any other final business? Are we ready to roll out of here? And when I say roll, I'm looking at you, Tess Armstrong. I'm actually going to roll out of here. To <laughs> how, the many weeks, how many weeks? 34 pregnant? now. 
Oh. Yeah, look out, world. We're and getting into the fourth quarter. That's right, I'm nearly into the fourth <laughs> the quarter. Premiership quarter. Yeah. And the no, baby's um, engaging in a lot of preseason training on my bladder. So it's oh. great. Love oh, it. So, Dumpy Castle, if you get into the fifth quarter, we'll start boiling towels. There is nothing else for us to say. We are so grateful that you've been with us today. Ladies, what do you got? Go, Go footy! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.